am very grateful for what God has been doing here at our church. And what Pastor shared just a few minutes ago was just all about us being ever so diligent seeking after God. And we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. And as Sister Rose said, but God would correct us. So let's continue to press into that. So today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 48. And it really talks about what is the condition of our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I come before you in awe of how great a God you are. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve what you've done for us. There's nothing within us that's worth it. But you are so incredibly good. So, so much better than we can ever, ever imagine. And out of your goodness, you have redeemed us. You put us in right standing before you. And Father, you didn't redeem us for our sakes, but for your sake. And you have a plan. And Father, we come before you because we want to be right alongside your plan. Trusting you and surrendering to your plan, Lord. So today, Father, I just pray that your will be done. You get all the glory. Every bit of it. All of it. Help us to seek you. To trust you. To surrender to you. In all things. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, we pray. So if we can put up the verses, Matthew chapter 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. So why did Jesus say it's from the evil one? What was evil? Well, the Pharisees had made additional standards, giving people really a way to lie. This whole attitude of what God wants to say is, what is your heart motivation? And the Pharisees were looking at, okay, what can I do to kind of follow what I need to, but really get what I want to get done? And so if you didn't swear by God and you swore by the temple or you swore by your parents or anything else, then it really wasn't binding. The Jews would know that, so they'd make sure you swear by God, but the Gentiles would not. And they'd get it over on them. Unfortunately, that's still relevant today. You know, people will make a promise and then kind of have their hands behind their back and cross their fingers. Contracts have to be written because people's word is no longer their bond. We see that um, in certain faiths, one in particular with Islam that bothers me, that they can lie to infidels. Perfectly reasonable to do that, to advance a good cause, which is the cause of Islam. So um, Muhammad did that, and so many others do that continually. They, 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 what their agreements are are not their bond. 
And what Jesus was trying to address is that heart issue, saying all these fancy things you want to do, basically giving yourself a way out to lie, to deceive. Just make it simple. Say yes, means yes. No, means no. So let's look at the next one in Matthew 38, 538 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So if someone wanted to have a claim against you and wanted to sue you, the court could require the debt to be paid off with your clothing, especially if you had no other resources. But let's look at Exodus 22, verses 25 and 26. There... The Mosaic law provided that the outer cloak could be taken as a pledge, but had to be returned by evening because for the poor man, it was his only covering. The court could require you to give up your inner garment, but it could not require you to give up your outer garment. And I want to look at Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. What was God trying to do? He was not trying to give revenge. He was trying to indicate what's a proportional response, okay? He's not saying we can take justice into our own hands and, okay, they took this from me. I have a right to take that from them. He was saying, look, to make things orderly, if you've done harm in a certain way, you need to compensate and commiserate with that. And all through what we call Old Testament times, before the current era, you get to see that through the laws of Hammurabi and the Roman laws, they had that same standard, the same goal that you had to be compensated. It created a sense of order. But Jesus wanted something more. And we'll come to that. Let's look. He was he was really focused on mercy. So let's look at Exodus chapter 23 verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. And if you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely Help him with it. And then let's look at Leviticus chapter 19 verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The Jews saw the neighbors themselves as fellow Jews. Jesus said, it's much more than that. 
those who are not like you, who don't think like you, who don't like you, who hate you, who do harm to you, that's who I want you to show love to. That's a hard saying for us. When I see wrongs of what's happening, it's very hard for me to do that. I cannot, in my own nature, do that. I can't. I can only, I want to pay back what I've been paid to. If I've been wronged by, and I have been, I want them to suffer. That's what my flesh wants. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells that a person who is truly righteous of heart is dependent upon God. So he would be willing to give up that which the court would otherwise protect in order not to cause offense with an adversary. He wants to go above and beyond the minimum requirement. That's what mercy is. Above and beyond that which is necessary. We're going to go next to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We'll come to that last sentence. Before we go there, let's look at Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 to 22. In the Old Testament, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Proverbs 24, 29. Do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the Pharisees at that time changed Leviticus 19.18 that we read to hate your neighbor. And so when we look in the Psalms, particularly like Psalm 69 and 109, you see things where it seems like God's saying, hate, hate those. We call them imprecatory, or imprecatory proms, uh, psalms, which can sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. We read through and you're going, well, that seems a little harsh. How could a loving God hate? What was God trying to do? He was saying, I hate Injustice. I hate the wickedness of all peoples, not of individual behavior. I hate the attitude that despises me, despises what I've done, and despises other people. 
And so he expects us to hate those things in general, but not being individually hated. Jesus took that hate. He expects us to do the same, but he expects us to be against the injustice, injustice of what's happening in the world. When we see unborn babies dying, that's an injustice. He wants doesn't want us to hate the people who do it. He wants to hate the wrong with what's happening there. And he wants us to love people so they don't have to resort to that. And they can't do that in their own strength. Like we can't. We can only do it through a relationship with God through Jesus. On the other hand, the Pharisees changed Leviticus 19.18 to hate your neighbor. And... Let's move on. Jesus set that example of what he wanted, which was to turn the other cheek. We saw that when he was before Pilate, where he said, I could call down legions of angels at any moment. When he was unjustly accused, when he was wronged, at any moment he could defend himself. But what did he have? He had compassion. He always sought the greater good. He always sought the greater good. What was that greater good? Our salvation. And we see that in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah. God wanted to extend mercy to the city of Nineveh, even though Jonah thinks they wouldn't do it and the harm that they could do it. He said, I, I can't help that. That's who I am. Who I am is to show love to those who are unlovable. And I want to go through the last part in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This best exemplifies what God was trying to show us in our heart. And behold, the lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly for do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, so who's my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and also passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. 
So Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man, the man said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Those of you who are familiar with Richard Wormbrand and the ministry he started, Voice of the Martyrs, he shared a story. I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, in whose throat spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and they were praying with fervor for their communists. Afterwards, the communists came to prison too. Now the torturers and their tortured were in the same cell. And while the non-Christians who were now in charge beat them, the former torturers that is, Christians took their defense. I have seen Christians giving away their last slice of bread. We had at that time only one slice per week. And the medicine which could save their lives was given to such a sick communist torturer who was now a fellow prisoner. To love those who hated you. To extend mercy. Not out of your abundance but out of sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means to be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. Abundant sacrifice. Abundant mercy. This Sermon on the Mount that we've been listening to is a direct reflection of what a relationship with God looks like. God who is so unlike us chose to become a man to empathize with us and our frailty and shortcomings, but primarily to redeem us from simple creatures to being simple creatures that he created to become his children. He wants a relationship with us. But for a true relationship, it has to be reciprocal. So what can we give God... What can we reciprocate to God who's self-sufficient in every way? Of course we can praise him and give him adoration. But the angels already do that. They're around the throne right now singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Does he really need humans to do that? He doesn't need that. What he wants, what he desires is for us to be like him. He wants us to desire to be like him, to grow to be like him, to see others the way that he sees them. He knows it's the very best thing for us here on earth, and even more so when we're in heaven. We're here to serve the work that he's preparing also to prepare us for the work that he has ahead of us in heaven. This time here is never wasted. He wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. 
So he wants us so much to be like Jesus. To join him in the fellowship of the suffering, giving him glory because we become like God. Then he can have fellowship with us. When we sin and choose our own way and do our own things, we break that fellowship. The opposite is when we're together and we're earnest and seeking him and diligently becoming like him and surrendering to become like him, we get a more intimate fellowship, knowing Jesus, knowing him. So this thing that we've been talking about, loving those who hurt us, it's not pacifism. It's really an active choice. It's saying, acknowledging, there's a part of me that would want to hurt because I've been hurt. That's human. That's what children do. But to become mature and complete means we don't strike back when we've been struck. Yeah, we choose a different way. We're called to be active agents in building the kingdom, and it has to do with love all of the time. So it says we're to be complete as our Heavenly Father is complete. The Greek word for complete is teleos. T-E-L-E-I-O-S. I-O-S. Which means mature and complete. Ephesians 4.13 Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. A perfect man. That's who we can perfect, complete fullness of Christ. Mature stature. Only through a surrender to Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, repentant and broken before a holy God, are we able to grasp a glimpse of what this means. I pray that we do. Amen.